Let us pray. God, as we reflect upon your word, we pray that you would give us wisdom. Help us to understand. Make it real to us. Help us to make that journey from the events of history to our experience today. Lead us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As most of you know, I am a chaplain in the Canadian Armed Forces Reserves, and I really enjoy that ministry. In fact, uh, military has been something that was uh, important to me way back. As uh, young as I can remember, I've always been interested in the Army and all things ministry. And one of the things I've noticed is that there are some interesting connections and intersections when it comes to the way uh, the military does certain things and the way the church does certain things. And you might find that kind of weird, but if you look at the scriptures, you find throughout the Bible, there are military metaphors that are used. It's found throughout the Old Testament, but even into the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, especially in his epistles, very often will draw upon a military metaphor to make a spiritual point. And I don't think that I'm far off when it comes to this. I think about William Booth, uh, when he wanted to start a Christian organization, what did he create? He created the Salvation Army because he saw something in the way the army does things as a model on which a church could use to influence the world for Christ and to make a difference. And so I'm going to try to do something like that right now as we reflect on our passage. And I want you to imagine uh, if a general in the army wanted to get something done, what would they do? Would they just send out a message to the people under them and say, uh, just go and do some army stuff, would you? That's probably not what they would do because not much would happen. That's far too vague for anything to happen. What they would do is actually give orders. And within the military, there is actually a complex structure in how orders are put together. And I'm, I'm not going to go uh, through all of that. I'm sure that would be boring for, for many of you. But there are two parts of the way the military does orders that I think is very important both to what they do and also to what they do. And these two parts are the commander's intent and the desired end state. So the, the first part is the commander's intent. The, the commander provides some kind of guidance of uh, what it is that they want. And then the desired end state is after everything is done, this is what the commander wants to see. Now, in the Baptist church, uh, definitely a pastor does not give orders. That is not a part of our role. So I would never even dream of trying to lead by giving orders. But just for the sake of argument, let's imagine that as a Baptist pastor, I'm able to give orders to the congregation. This is what it would look like. So in terms of our support of the local food bank, uh, the commander's intent, so in this case it would be me, again, I'm not really your commander, but just for the, the sake of this illustration, um, the commander's intent would be that we would support our local food bank. 
my desired end state would be that we would be able to donate a certain amount of food and a certain amount of money to the local food bank. And I'm not so much concerned about what happens in between those two things, how we get to that desired end state, although I would prefer that you don't actually rob a grocery store. But aside from that, I'm not too worried about the details. As long as we get from the commander's intent to the, the desired end state, that is what matters. Now, again, I do not give orders, but Jesus does give orders. And that's what we're going to look at, specifically within the context of the Great Commission. Now, the Great Commission in Luke is a little bit different from the more familiar version that is found in Matthew. But I think that there's some really helpful principles that are found in here. And so we're going to take a look at what it means when our commander, that is Jesus, gives us our orders and we are expected to do this. So the first part is, what is the commander's intent? The commander's intent is that the gospel message would be shared widely. What is the desired end state? The desired end state is when the church, that is the followers of Jesus, respond and are obedient to this call. Uh, the desired end state is not uh, necessarily that everyone converts because of free will. Not everyone does do that. But his desired end state is that we as followers of Jesus would be his witnesses in the world. So let's take a look at what that looks like. We understand that we are expected to share, but what is it that we are supposed to share? What is the nature of our message? Uh, if you were to ask uh, the average Christian, I would say that their definition of the gospel would be something like Jesus died for our sins. And if we believe in him, we can go to heaven. And that is fine as far as it goes. But when we look at this passage, Jesus actually gives a little bit more information there. And he gives some things that we really need to pay attention to. So the first thing that he says is something that we wouldn't expect. It's probably not what we think of when we first think of the gospel. Jesus begins by reminding them that all of these things were fulfillment of the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now, what in the world are the law, the prophets, and the Psalms? Well, those are the three traditional parts of what we call the Old Testament. Uh, that's how the Jews understand the Old Testament. They would call it the, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And in this case, the, the psalm uh, stands in for the writings. And what Jesus is saying here is that uh, what has taken place was not just a, a last-minute decision. It's not like uh, things were going fine, then all of a sudden everything fell apart and God had to call in Jesus to try to fix everything. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying this, this has always been the plan. If you go right back to Genesis and right through the entire Old Testament, we find that God has been at work aiming towards the Jesus event. That's been the plan all along. We see it in all of those parts. The law, the prophets, 
the Psalms, all of them point towards Jesus. And so this is a reminder for us and an encouragement that God is in control. He is the God of history and he has been bringing us to this point. And because of that, we can have trust in God. Now, the second part of the message is about the death and resurrection of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Remember that summary that many people give for the definition of the gospel, uh, that Jesus died for our sins. Yes, Jesus died for our sins. I completely agree with that. But according to Paul and according to the rest of the New Testament, the resurrection is vital to that message of the gospel. It's not just that Jesus died for us. It's that Jesus died and he rose again. Think about it. If it had been just about the death of Jesus, if that's all that took place, how would we know that his death did anything to help our spiritual state? There would be no way for us to know if that happened or not. But when Jesus says that his death is going to do that and he rises from the dead, well, that's some pretty good evidence that what he was saying was actually coming true. So this is really important. Uh, quite a few years ago, I was part of a leadership training program, and it's called Arrow, and we were assigned to preach a, a five-minute evangelistic sermon. And the most difficult part of it for the instructors was to get the students to preach both the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Everyone wanted to preach the cross, but we were content just to stop there. And the instructors kept reminding us, no, the gospel includes the resurrection. Preach the cross, but preach the empty tomb as well. It is extremely important. And then the final part of the message here is a little bit different. Uh, The first two parts are about what God has done. The third part of the message is about what people are expected to do. And Jesus says that this is a message of repentance. The expectation is that people would repent. It's not just about uh, getting knowledge of what God might have done in the Old Testament and what Jesus did on the cross and the empty tomb. It's about responding. It's about repentance. But what is repentance? What are we, what are we even talking about there? For some people, uh, repentance is about praying a certain prayer, often called the sinner's prayer. And I've, I've been a part of churches that equated repentance with praying this spe- specific prayer. The pro- problem is that that sinner's prayer really only came about uh, in the uh, rise of a revivalism over the last uh, few centuries. That's when that really came about. Uh, the church actually saw uh repentance as being a bit wider than that. That's not to say that the the sinner's prayer is wrong. I've prayed the sinner's prayer myself, so there's nothing wrong with it. But it's not the sum total of repentance. Now, is repentance about feeling regret and sorrow over doing bad things? Well, it could include that, and we should feel regret and sorrow if we've done bad things. But 
repentance is much more than that. It's not dependent upon the feelings. And so the, the way I describe it is that you are driving in your car, going down a road, you realize that the direction that you are going in is not going to get you to the destination that you desire. And so you stop, you do a U-turn, and then you go in the right direction. So the, the stopping and the U-turn is repentance. When you put your foot down on the accelerator, when you're finally going in the right direction, that's believing. And that's actually what the message of Jesus was. If you go to the Gospel of Mark, you'll see that when Jesus began his ministry, it says he was preaching the Gospel. Now the Gospel there uh, wasn't about his death and resurrection because those things hadn't happened yet. But if you look in those passages in the first chapter of Mark, you'll see that Jesus was preaching a gospel that included uh, repenting and believing. Those are those two parts, turning around, going in the right direction, and then accelerating in that right direction. That's the role of repentance, and we are called to do that. So those are the three parts of the message that we are ordered to share, that God has been at work in history, as revealed in the scriptures, that Jesus has died for our sins and he has also been raised from the dead and that people are called to respond in repentance. Now that's the what. What about the how? How do we do this? Well, I don't think that God is too worried about our methodology. We get all caught up about methodology. In fact, often People are so convinced that the, the way they are doing it is the only way. And so there are some people who think door knocking and handing out tracts, that's the way. That's what every Christian should be doing. Uh, there's others who would say, no, we should be feeding the poor. That's the means by which we preach the gospel. We feed the poor. And that's the only way we should be doing it. There's other people who would say uh, medical missions overseas. That's the way to do it. That is the way that God's at work. And all of those things can be great, but I don't think that God is too worried about the exact way that we do it. But that's not to say that he doesn't have any thoughts on the matter. There actually are some, some things here that are shared by Jesus about how we are supposed to go about and do this. And the, the first thing is that we are sent. We are sent to do this. That's what Jesus says. He says to the disciples, I am sending you. Uh, we are meant to be an apostolic church. The word apostle means sent one. And so we are called to be sent, to go out. Now, this might be not what we want. Maybe we would prefer that we could just kind of sit around and mind our own business. And maybe someone will come up to us and say, excuse me, uh, could you tell me uh, how to have faith in Jesus? And then we can, we can share at that point. Or perhaps we would prefer to be able to just sit in our church building. And hopefully someone will show up there and will hear the message and become a Christian. But Jesus here says that we are to be sent. Now, what does that mean to be sent? Does that mean we all have to go to another country? We all have to go overseas? 
That's probably not the case for most of us. Uh, I've gone on a number of short-term missions and I've loved it. They have been extremely formative in my spiritual life and in my ministry life. So they've been very important. But I'm not called to be a full-time overseas missionary. That's not my role. And probably most of us don't have that role. So if we're not spending most of our time overseas, what does it mean to be sent? Where are we sent to? Now, that's the question that we want to ask. But I would push back and say, there's another question we have to ask. And that question is, where are we sent from? So instead of where are we sent to, let's start by asking, where are we sent from? Well, in the context here, Jesus is talking to a gathering of disciples. And I think that that is where we are sent from today as well. A congregation of a church is a gathering of disciples. And this is where we are sent from. Now, that's important because if we think that ministry is all about getting uh, other people to come into our building, to sit in our services, to hear a message from our pastor, and to think that that's all that Jesus wants for us, then we are mistaken because he is saying we are to be sent from this place. I'm not saying that it's not important to come to church. I'm not even saying it's not important to invite our friends and family to come to church. What I'm saying is the church is our way of getting trained, of getting encouraged, of getting equipped so we can go out. And where do we go out? We go out to wherever we spend most of our time. So it could be work. It could be with friends and family. It could be in school. It could be at our grocery store. Uh, It could be anywhere. Wherever it is that we spend our time in, uh, that's where Jesus is sending us to. Now, it's quite ironic that at the time that I am preaching this, we are in the midst of a pandemic, which means we can't be in the gathered place of this building. We are actually forced to be the church, not in the building, not at 57 Queen Street, but in our own neighborhoods. In some ways, it looks like Jesus is forcing us to be apostolic. It's something to be thinking about. The other part of the how, according to Jesus, is the role of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to them, you need to stay in the city that's in Jerusalem and wait because power from on high is coming, which means the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be poured out. And that's described in Luke's uh, second book, which is the Acts of the Apostles in the second chapter. It describes what that looks like. And the point here is that we are not to do this just on our own. It's not just about how wise we are. It's not just about how knowledge we are, knowledgeable we are. It's not about how much of an extrovert we are and, and how comfortable we are talking with people or anything like that. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, very often we use it in terms of boldness that we think about the Spirit giving us boldness to say things we wouldn't normally say uh, in places where we wouldn't normally be doing that. It's about pushing us out of our comfort zone. And that's very much a part 
of what the Holy Spirit does. But there's another part as well. I found that there are times when I am uh, seeking to, to share the gospel with someone and I'm about to say something and the Spirit leads me to not share in that way, to keep our mouth, my mouth shut, to not uh, say the thing that I was thinking about saying. There are times that the, the words are, are right up to my throat and they die right there as I feel that conviction of that's not what I'm supposed to be saying. And this is a, a, a challenging thing. Uh, we think that it's important for us to, to share whatever comes to mind. We hear uh, something that provokes us and we want to give a strong response. And yet we are called uh, to be careful with our words. Sometimes our words are not helpful. Sometimes our words are hurtful. And the Spirit can help us to keep those words to ourselves. So basically what I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit helps us in both ways, in what to say and what not to say. And it's encouraging to know that we are not on our own. So we, as followers of Jesus, have been given our orders. Our commander's intent is that we would share the gospel widely. Uh, his desired end state is that we would be obedient to the call and that we would do what he has asked us to do, that we would share in the opportunities that we have. And we have been given a very specific message that God is the God of history. He has been working through the human race as revealed in the scriptures and that God has brought all that to a specific time, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Not just the death of Jesus, as important as that is, but also the resurrection of Jesus. It's vital to the message. And it's a call to repentance. It's not a call to condemn people because we don't like the way they are. It is a call to the same kind of repentance that all of us need to do that acknowledgement that we're going in the wrong direction and that we need to turn around. Jesus is sending us. He's not asking us just to sit there and to wait for it to happen, but he's sending us. Wherever it is that he places us, we are supposed to be his people in that place. But he doesn't leave us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower us and to equip us. And of that, we can be thankful. We have received our orders. We have received the Great Commission. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you have called us to share the incredible message of the gospel, the message of your work in history, the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We thank you for that. We thank you for the call to repentance. And we ask that you would help us as we seek to share that message. Help us to be the sent church, the apostolic church, the church that does come together, not to have ministry take place within a specific building, but to be equipped for ministry so that we can go out and share. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that empowers us, 
that gives us boldness, but also gives us discernment in what to say and what not to say. We thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.